When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, we are back here on Score North, Purple Daily, Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Uh, or um, if you wanted to go the John Manziel route, you could be Court Cronin. That's te- see, but that's technically the nickname for Courtney. Oh, I guess it is. So I guess I would be going the opposite route. Do uh, do you are you into Court or not? Yeah, it's fine. Some Courtneys get the Court. Yeah, treatment. It's, it's, my coach in soccer used to call me that. Um, we've got something huge, huge Vikings breaking news. So hold on a second, Manny, with your list. We've got preseason opponents. <sighs> Oh yeah, preseason opponents. Well, we've oh and we've got some rivalry action for their first game. This is going to be exciting. I can't wait for the articles on all the Vikings players who have gone to New Orleans and how the Vikings have to go down to New Orleans to face off with Nick Easton and Marcus <laughs> Sherrill's grudge match and Latavius Murray too and Latavius Murray. Will oh that, man, will that be that's what you should let a- off with. Will that be dubbed as a revenge game for the regular season game from no last question. year that the Saints won? No question it will be. And there will be some, this is, this I would is, put... This is August 9th or whatever, though. Like, this is not, like, I don't think you can even bring out revenge game until week three or four. Oh, uh, Courtney, uh, let me tell you. I'd put money on it. Let uh, me tell you. When, they, when the Falcons beat the Vikings in the NFC Championship game in 98, they turned around and played the Falcons in the Georgia Dome in week one the oh, next season. Goodness. And that was dubbed as... Revenge game. Well, and even, it doesn't count. If it doesn't count, it's not a revenge game. But might I remind you, because you and I are similar on this. Anything that happens in the preseason, we intentionally wash from our brains it's, it's as like, soon as it's done. It's like the Men in Black thing where they yeah. like take the thing yep. and they flip it in front of your eyes. I you it would take me probably twenty five minutes <laughs> to think of what happened in the preseason last year, even like three plays. I can I can I can remember some because remember you and I watched the first preseason game against Denver together. Yes, we ate and, pizza. And Kirk had that great Great series. He was like four for four. Okay, Stephon yes. Diggs, touchdown. Okay, I need uh-huh. to like stop talking. Oh, and then Rock Thomas. Yeah, Rock Thomas. His patient running style. You've already, <laughs> Courtney, you've already remembered way too much yes, about it's way game. too much. I, I don't even remember All that. All right, that was so embarrassing. Let's, just, let's just go down this road anyway. So who was the second game against? Was that Jacksonville here? And yes. Kirk got yes. sacked hard, I think, and we all went. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. And, and that then, was, uh, Simeon played in that game and looked awful. Yes. 
Sloter played well, but they lost. I believe Mike Boone might have had a couple of big runs yeah. in that because you and I were debating whether it was Boone or Thomas, Thomas was going to make the yeah. team as the number three running back. And so your team, Boone, took a step forward and yes. everyone got hurt. Yeah. Remember those like eight like guys? Cedric Lang broke yeah. his leg. I, like um, was, Antoine Williams got in, he got the roughing the passer. The suspension, yeah, or the fine. The fine, yeah, yeah, $25,000 yeah. fine. Because he landed on Cody Kessler, right? Yeah, just, just right. barely. Yeah, just he, barely he rolled off of him. him. That was the yeah. whole like weight, uh, now, can weight we get argument. A, you're a reporter. Can we uh, have an investigative report on whether he ever paid that fine? He's not in the league. No, right? I, w- I mean, I'll, I'll find out. I want to know whether Antoine Williams ever paid that fine. and That'd be criminal if and, they made him pay what, that fine. That's not also, fair. Turn it if, into a Dateline investigation. This is what I want to know. I really want to know this. Get your Keith Morrison so, on. If Antoine Williams commits a penalty that is um, fined for $20,000, he's released and never plays again. Like, do they send an agency after Antoine Williams to collect $20,000 for his preseason infraction? I mean, I think it's nearly as uh, important as sending collection agencies against people who don't pay their hospital bills. I mean, you have to bring these people to justice. <laughs> and, no. Like, what, what authority would they have? I wonder, to I wonder on if that all fine? that stuff cancels out um, at okay. some point. Then I've got a new hack. So when you play a team like New Orleans, they also play Seattle, Arizona, and Buffalo, if anyone cares, um, for the preseason. When you Mm -hmm. play New Orleans, so you bring in somebody who isn't going to make the team, and then they just are like a wrecking ball out there. I'm not saying that you intentionally hurt people because New Orleans would never be a franchise that intentionally hurt people or no, anything. Never. Like no, there would be no connection ever to the Superdome and intentionally hurting people. But if you wanted to get a few shots in, you sign Willie Joe from Tulane who's to try not to make injure the team. someone yeah. else's players. Oh, he's fine. Well, I don't think, I mean, darn. So are you saying the Vikings brought <laughs> Antoine Williams in to hurt other players? He's a nice boy. <laughs> Don't slander his name like that. I need to know. Do you know who his agent is? Like, we need to find out if, if he, he ever actually paid, paid this stupid fine. Well, I remember the. Th- <laughs> I can. I can actually. I can tell you a lot about the preseason. Oddly enough, because it's the, all flooding back now. The third, and I didn't the third want preseason game is where Mike Zimmer committed psychological warfare on Daniel <laughs> Carlson in yes, the first in yes. the second quarter, going for two against Seattle. Right against Seattle. Um, that was where Kyle Sloter like was. That was when he was like proclaiming afterwards. He's like, I feel like I could. You know, I, I'm one step away. That was when he was. You know, that was that was when the Sloter House T-shirt yes, started started yes. making their rounds throughout the locker room. But certain reporters are so oblivious that they thought like late in the season um, that that was a new thing, even though it yeah. wasn't. It had been it there was, for like it had six been months. Preseason, right? Um, um. <laughs> but uh, you know, at that point, you know, that was when Dalvin Cook was getting a little bit of action. We were wondering how soon he was going to come back from the ACL. KJ Wright popped Stephon Diggs, and we were like, "Why is Stephon Diggs playing?" Yeah. I remember that. What else happened? And, and that Simeon game? really struggled in that game. Yeah. Now, okay. Fourth preseason game so was I, I, that was at Tennessee. At Tennessee. And I remember Stephen Weatherly was dominant, and Holton Hill had a long kick return thanks to me. Remember? That's right. That That's right. I you let Mike Prefer know that yes, he was a kick returner. It in really high was school. thanks to me because I had found some high school tape of Holton Hill kick returning, and Mike Prefer said that one of the coordinators ran across it reading my article. And said, well, maybe you should try him a kick returner. And he was good. So you're welcome, Holton Hill. But then I may have sent the team on a spiral at the cornerback position, ultimately. 
and like a weird butterfly effect. So I'm sorry. We'll see. I guess we won't know. I mean, you you you're you're gonna stick by always draft the weed guy, so <laughs> yeah, I don't think you're yeah. really that sorry <laughs> and, at all. And then I got him on the team unintentionally. Uh, all right, Brandon Vilsch so, had a good game that game too. Remember, we were talking about if they're going to keep five wide receivers and which ones they were going to keep. This is a fun game. I love this. Okay, Let's so always talk about the preseason, even with regular season and people from the preseason. Do you remember Brandon Zilstra's one catch from the regular season? Yeah, where no, was it? I don't. I bet you could think of it. It was. It was not a close game. It was on the road. The Jets. It was the Jets. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Because I saw. I saw him. Um, why do I remember that? Why do we remember anything? He it's almost idiotic. well. I do remember he he nearly <laughs> drilled Mike Prefer in pregame warmups. Prefer was not paying attention. He was walking off the field, and uh, Zilsha was like in the middle of warmups, and that could have ended badly. That's all I remember from that game. Not the fact that they put up 37 points on the road, and that's what really started the John D. Filippo, Mike Zimmer internal rift. It did. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I remember weird things that happened in warm-ups. Um, I remember seeing Josh McCown on the field and wondering, wow, he's a very square head. Oh, yeah, incredibly square head. He's a great <laughs> basketball player, too. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Anywho's. So I, I asked Manny to put together his eight or nine favorite or most interesting prospects um, in the draft. So, Manny, uh, we've cut down on your time by reliving the preseason. As right. It was so worth often. it. It was worth it. It was a totally great preseason. Sorry for that. But, um, it's a great eight minutes. Let, let's, uh, let's roll with it, though. What do you have? Do you have eight or nine? I have nine. Nine most interesting prospects. All right. Number nine, and it's... Kind of a package deal, so you could call it eight point five, maybe or nine. This, it's this eight or nine. Never should be this hard. It's a package <laughs> deal. It's two guys. It's the two Iowa tight ends, T.J. Hawkinson and Noah Fan. Can't do that. That's I think they, ca- they count as two different people. That's nine. That's so, nine. So all so of you, nine. all okay. of you out there who bet the eight, no, it was nine. So not okay. So then they there you go. Spoiler alert: Number eight is T.J. Hawkinson. Okay. Number nine is Noah Fant. Um, Noah Fant <laughs> visited the Vikings. Did and T.J. Hawkinson, I think, is going too high, but he looks like a monster. Yeah. Just the I don't think package. I don't think Hawkinson's there at eighteen. You think he's going to the Packers? He, they pick how many before? Are they at thirteen? Somewhere uh, there's thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Yes, I do. I think I think they're taking a tight end regardless, and he's probably going to be the first one off the board. The hard scenario for the Vikings is if Noah Fant is there and also like Jonah Williams and some of the other offensive linemen, then it's going to be like, oh boy, how do you pass up on somebody with that talent as a tight end, but you desperately, desperately need a lineman. All right, number seven, Manny. Number seven is uh, Dalton Reisner, offensive lineman from Kansas State. Very intriguing. And in some mock drafts, I've seen him going in the second round. So if he's there and at 50, you know. I took him in one of my first round draft sims because he's just so interesting with can play any position. I here here's when I've gotten full draft SZN, Courtney, is when I say he was great at the senior bowl. I mean, if you're he going was, back and look at his senior he bowl, was, he was great at the senior is, bowl. This is a Mike Zimmer type guy, though. Yeah. I mean, in, in the ver- in the position flexibility and versatility he gives you, I mean, he's an instant starter. He's somebody that could plug it if you need to plug him in over at left guard because we're assuming Josh Klein's going to be a right guard. I he's mean, even played center. I think, right? Yeah, yeah, and then you could play him at tackle eventually. I think that there's it's great size, six five, three twelve. Like, I mean, this this is somebody who 
It's a second-level athletic-type lineman, and I really like him. His stock has been on the yeah. rise there. He was... Ah! I hate you. Um, <laughs> wasn't he in... Correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't this, like, the mock draft that you said was my best one ever? That I had him in the second round? The second after round, getting, yes. I yep. believe, Garrett Bradbury in the first round? Yep. That was probably, like, top that, five best days of my life. That was good, but now you need corners, so you're in trouble. All right, number six. Uh, I kind of picked this guy, well, because... Because he's a wide receiver, and you know the Vikings could maybe use a third wide receiver. Unless Not according they, to Mike Zimmer, yeah, big plans for Laquan Treadwell. Okay, uh, but I saw this guy, and just his nickname alone just really intrigued me. Debo Samuel, Samuel from South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, he's like sort of strong, tough, good route runner. That's he's, that's what that's what caught my eyes. That they the said that he could, he could be. He could be like the best route runner in this draft. Well, they need they don't have a number three who can actually run routes, so that's important. They got a guy who thinks he's a hundred catch wide receiver at the uh, the number three spot. Yeah, I, it's not reality, catches. but that's what he thinks. Dream big. Um, yeah, I really like Debo Samuel because uh, the more that we do this, the more you figure out which traits tend to turn into people who actually succeed Mm -hmm. and anytime a guy is the most refined route runner i think that gives them a really high chance of success number five garrett bradbury inside offensive lineman from nc state i like it i think that if the if he's there which he could be at 18 i think you go with him because this is this this is somebody who if you want to play him at center you can move pat elfline back to right guard um, or left guard, I mean, wherever you want to put him. That to me is he's one of the, he was so good during the combine. Most I, athletic interior lineman that was there, and I just think that this is somebody you can't pass up on. I always chuckle at dominated the combine, but he really he did. really did. He really he had an unbelievable it. combine. Like I'm looking at his mock draftable right now, and it's just like absurd. Yeah, he's he he should be able to play guard or center. Uh, number five. Number four. Four. Number four. Uh, this guy, I was available to me in the last mock draft that I did last night actually on in my time during halftime of the national championship game quarterback Will Greer from West Virginia he was available in the fourth round for me That's I, I had him in a fourth round pick one That's time. really stunning mm-hmm. I went through with Sage Rosenfels his game tape and Sage kind of made a comparison to like Teddy Bridgewater where he doesn't have the strongest arm He's got good pocket presence. He's accurate. He put up big numbers. And his numbers are actually really similar to Bridgewater's in college. And he was going into the season, the guy who was supposed to be the top quarterback drafted, going into 2018. And then he was great and finished fourth in the Heisman voting, but he's dropped off everybody's boards. I don't get it. Yeah, that's my question. Why Why has there been all this like slander against him? It's not his personality. He's like married and has a kid and like is sort of a family man type of a, guy. You think it's the hair? I think it's the arm strength. Maybe people don't think that he has like extremely good arm strength, but I would also say that it, arm strength is behind the other assets that you can have, the processing and the... Um, accuracy and things like that. I like him as a prospect. I don't know where he's going to end up or if he's ever going to get a shot, but he might be the guy that ends up in the second round. Turns out to be really good. Uh, number three, wide receiver Darius Slayton from Auburn. He is a burner. This mm-hmm. kid is fast as hell. If they need their true vertical threat, the guy who's going to stretch the field and, and be that number, and that's what the number three is going to be, I think this is a perfect pick. Where is he projected to? Fifth? Fourth? I saw fourth, fourth in yeah. some of them, yeah. 
He's not like in the Paris Campbell of uh, like that type of realm, but I think you know a step down. I mean, if you if you are looking for more of the guy who can do like one or two really good things yeah. really well, that's where he is. Did he have something like a four three forty in the combine? I haven't I think paid it was much low attention four to threes, him. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, they do need that vertical threat. We've been talking about it for like three years now. Aldrick Robinson like halfway gave that to them last year. When are they going to resign him? When they get some money, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, number two is Jonah Williams, the offensive lineman that could actually realistically be available for the Vikings at 18. And I Everybody's think getting there, him now. Yeah. 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 I think he's there. He's the guy they got to take. had him in his most recent one. I've seen him to the Vikings in almost so many mock drafts now that I'm like, it's never going to happen. <laughs> like, there's, there's almost too many people mocking Jonah Williams to the Vikings, but he's another guy that slipped a little bit, and maybe it's not the perfect scheme fit, but he's the most talented. And number one is, I'm on this guy's bandwagon. He just really intrigues me with the size and the ability to run. He's a little raw, but uh, Dawson Knox, the tight end from Ole Miss, yeah. I'm, I'm really, really interested in him. Really interested in Could him. Could be, what, a second round pick, maybe? Second Se- or third. Second or third, yeah. Mm-hmm. Second, third round is a great time i think for freaky athletic tight ends because that means they've got enough like intelligence to have impressed people uh even if they're a little bit raw like bucky hodges is the great example of a guy who just dropped so far even the despite the freakish athleticism so you're like well that's not gonna work i, I mean if, if he dropped that far i'm very much against them picking a tight end after the third round yeah, I, I think they yeah. need to learn their learn their lesson with the Bucky Hodges and the Tyler Conklins and who else am I forgetting here? Michael uh, Pruitt. Mike Hal- <laughs> Mike, how'd you actually say his name? Michael. 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 It's not Michael. Like, it's like Michael. As in Michael. You yep. bought some for your stove. Your, what? Your oh, who puts coal in a stove? What kind of house are you living in? You have carbon monoxide, like just like free floating throughout your kitchen. You have to understand. I grew up in a town that. Uh, was kind of like a lot of Wisconsin is. It's just like corn and Did you have animals. one of those things that look like the giant pill outside of the house that heats, that's like keeps the, what are, what are those things no, called? I mean, we had a furnace, but like I went to people's houses who literally warmed their house with like coal fire or wood fire that, heaters. That, that sounds dangerous, but to the bigger point here. <laughs> to the bigger point here, we're actually late for the break. That's so fine. I'm not sure. Were you going to make another wood fire? No, I was just going to say, don't draft a tight end past the third round. <laughs> oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Sam Monson is coming up with us next. He's from Pro Football Focus when we come back on Purple Daily. You aren't into Minnesota sports. Talk to the Mitten. Score North. Minnesota sports. Anytime, anywhere. Score North. All right, we are back here on Purple Daily. Matthew Collar, ESPN's Courtney Cronin. Manny Hill is producing, and we go to one of our friends from Pro Football Focus, Sam Monson. What's going on, Sam? Hey, I'm doing good. How about you guys? Uh, we're doing great, and we have just been doing draft simulations and uh, going through trying to find offensive linemen who are uh, plug-and-play, as they say. But I-, I wanted to ask you first, Sam, about something kind of a little bit different before we get into the Vikings here. And it's just, uh, I feel like I've noticed a sea change in the way people consume draft stuff, whether it's simulating it or especially the pro football focus statistics, which I use extensively in my writing and so many journalists do. And, and, and then fans are much more aware because of the statistics and the grades that you guys put out and the social media stuff that you do 
of what they're getting with these prospects. I, I, I'd just like to hear you talk about sort of that process for you guys of pro football focus of uh, kind of becoming part of this mainstream draft internet uh, as a whole and what that sort of meant to the way people consume the draft now. Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's not something that we've been driving necessarily, but it's headed that way for years. You know, the draft started off way back when as, as nothing but a get together by the NFL. And then guys like Mel Kuyper realized that this was something that people would be interested in watching. And it's really just developed from there. You know, the internet brought its own changes. Now everybody wants to know everything about these guys, not just what. Um, you know, a, a guy like Mel Kuyper thinks or Mike Mayock thought of these guys. Uh, they want to know information about them. They want hard facts and data, not just opinions of specific draft analysts. So I think we're just seeing, and it's not necessarily just the draft, we're seeing across the board, people want the information to be able to make up their own mind on certain things. They don't want to be able to, they don't want to just be fed the same platitudes. And I think that's kind of why pff was started in the first place instead of hearing about guys that are you know this is one of the best in the league according to whatever random announcer is doing that game you know that's not true and now you have some data so that you can do a bit of research and a bit of arguing yourself and that's that was true 10 years ago when we started doing it for the nfl and it's it's true for the draft now you don't want to listen to just whoever's on the tv at the time telling you what a great pick it is if you think it's a terrible pick. Nope. Nope. Did we still got you there, Sam? Did we lose you? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm here. Oh, okay. All right. Just lost the, the very end of that. So as a follow-up, I'm curious about what you guys have found as you've done more and more of these draft guides and the draft guide 2.0 is out now. I was just poking through that. And um, just in terms of like what it tells you about whether a prospect is going to work out or not, because we've heard many times and I remember reading this uh, Wright Thompson article a few months ago, and a lot of people are talking about how random the draft can be. And it's true. And most studies find that no team is particularly great at drafting. But I'm wondering if you've started to find in your research that certain things that you have in terms of data correlate to actual success in the NFL. Yeah, we have. And I think, you know, with the NFL, we've got 10 plus years of data on that now. We've got a pretty good handle on what the grades mean. When we started grading college in the 2014 season, we didn't really know what it would mean at all. So we were kind of guessing when it came to projecting these college grades forward to the NFL. We didn't know how much stock to put in athleticism, how much stock to put in just the raw overall PFF grade. Um, and now we've got guys in the building, true data scientists, you know, George Shahuri and Eric Eager in particular. And, and those guys have been running kind of correlation um, num- studies and, and trying to work out what elements of PFF's grading do translate to the next level. And some are stronger than others based off the position. Offensive line grading, pass blocking grading in particular has got a really strong correlation to the next level. But even diving deeper than the overall grades, um, pulling out certain elements of grading. So whether it's passing from a clean pocket, it's figuring out um, that kind of negative, their percentage of negatively graded throws for quarterbacks is one of the most important things of projecting how a guy's going to do at the next level rather than the number of big plays he makes. It's how many times does he screw up? Um, And just understanding sort of where all these things lie 
in, in the whole draft landscape. And I think we're still only really beginning to scratch the surface of that. In a few years' time, I think we will have a much better handle on exactly what you should be looking at when it comes to projecting guys forward. But ultimately, I think the kind of the results of the draft are always going to be skewed a little bit by the landing spot, where guys actually get drafted. You might have a player who is a perfect fit for you know a zone-heavy defense gets drafted by the wrong team. They try and plug this guy into a man-coverage system, and he's going to look like a terrible player because he's, he's not being put in the right situation. So I think no matter how much we learn about what projects, we're always at the mercy a little bit of where these guys land. Talking with uh, Sam Monson of Pro Football Focus. Sam, I want to bring something back to the top of what we talked about at the top of the show with Holton Hill being suspended for four games uh, due to a violation of the league's uh, performance-enhancing drug policy. So Vikings fans certainly don't want to see a cornerback taken at 18. But a situation like this, when you take a look at what that secondary looks like at the cornerback position for Minnesota and what happens at 18. How do you think this this could affect their draft strategy considering the needs and considering what's going to get pushed down the line now, knowing that you really can't make any sure, sure bets right now on your cornerback situation? Yeah, I, I think nobody wants to see a team continually swing and miss at the same position or just keep plugging away at the same position in the draft. It feels like an acknowledgement of failure, and to an extent it is, but that's not a bad thing. You know, the best teams in the NFL recognize their mistakes and, and rectify them quicker than anybody else. And if you look at the Vikings cornerback group over the last couple of years, it hasn't been good. Um, you know, Holton Hill was the second-best-graded cornerback on the team last season. Um, okay, in far fewer snaps than some some other guys, but – they ha- they're they not in a good position at cornerback, despite big money tied up in, in Xavier Rhodes and the first-round pick um, tied to Trey Waynes. And, you know, this is a team that could easily upgrade a cornerback. And if the right guy is there at 18, I don't think it's a bad position to, again, try and upgrade at that spot. So, yeah, I, I think they're in this strange position where they have addressed a lot of – or they've thrown a lot of resource at the cornerback position – but it's still not become the strength that it should have been given that investment. So the answer to that isn't to run away and, and you know try and focus on another position. It's to keep going until you fix it because cornerback remains one of the most important positions in the NFL. It's one of the most vital facets when it comes to winning games. So if you're not good there, you need to get better. It's a good point, and I know that you know they, they've, they've swung on a lot of these guys in the first round, it's been Mike Zimmer's MO since he arrived here in 2014 that he wants to draft these guys high. When you assess this group of cornerback talent um, among, you know, the first, second, third round picks, uh, possibly, could they go, could they still go offensive line at 18 and get somebody who could potentially be an immediate starter? Anybody that you like in particular in second or third round capacity? I think they could. Obviously, you're going to see a drop-off. I think there's a fairly clear top three uh, when it comes to cornerbacks in this draft. I think Byron Murphy, Greedy Williams, and DeAndre Baker, in some order, that's pretty much everybody's top three, depending on what exactly you're looking for. Um, And I suspect all three of those guys will go in the first round and be long gone by the time the Vikings pick in the second. 
But there's a lot of guys in the second and third round um, who obviously they have a little bit more flaws to their game, but there's a lot of talent in there. Whether you're talking about, um, you know, Amani Owarie, the Penn State cornerback, who's got a lot of talent, but also some kind of rough edges to his game, needs to, to improve things. You've got Rocky Asin from Temple as a guy that a lot of people are extremely high on. I think there are definitely cornerbacks that you can get um, lower down in the second and third round if you find the right offensive lineman in the first, but there is, they are going to have bigger question marks than those top three guys. Sam, can you explain the pro football focus grade on Xavier Rhodes? Because this is one that I end up um, answering a lot of questions on with Vikings fans. That you know Xavier Rhodes here has been considered a, a shutdown corner, and he's a pro bowler, and he makes the big contract. And I think everyone would acknowledge that he wasn't as good last year. But then when you look at his rankings for pro football focus, they haven't ever been up within the elite. So I, I, I'm interested in sort of where that gap is between kind of how he he's viewed and where pro football focus has him. Yeah. I mean, so a lot of people point to coverage statistics, you know, and, and how a guy was held to whatever number of yards or catches in a game. Um, and that's a big part of playing cornerback, but it's not everything for a start. You can hide an awful lot of bad coverage um, in penalties. It doesn't always result in receiving yards. If you get torched off the line of scrimmage, and instead of giving up a 75-yard touchdown, you tackle the guy and give away a you know a hold or a pass interference. It won't show up in those coverage statistics, but it's bad coverage. And you know I've seen people make the argument that that's a smart penalty, and maybe it is smarter than giving up the 75-yard touchdown, but it's not as smart as just playing better off the line of scrimmage and not getting to- torched in the first place. So I think what you see with Xavier Rhodes uh, is he does give away a lot of penalties over in his career. Um, he consistently gives up a lot. There were three straight years of 12 or more um, uh, uh, penalties. There's a lot of bad play in there. I think the other thing you see is that one of the things the PFF grade does is it factors in some of these plays that don't necessarily show up on the stat sheet at all. So, you know, plays that don't show up on the stat sheet could be good, they could be bad, but you're not going to know unless you're actually documenting it play after play after yeah. play and that's what pff does for every single player so you know a, couple, uh, a while ago there was a game against julio jones where the stats weren't great but how many of those were great coverage by xavier Rhodes, and how many of them were overthrown passes were pressured coming up front causing a miss were miscommunications were just plays where the ball didn't go in julio jones's direction i had a a clip on Twitter that pulled up uh, basically a highlight package of Rhodes, you know, not doing as well as people would have thought given Julio Jones' stat sheet at the end of that game. So we've seen, I think, around 30 players so far from the AAF wind up on NFL 90-man rosters this offseason since the league has folded. Uh, the Vikings signing Carter Schultz, the pass rusher. I think, Matthew, you said he was in tra- uh, minicamp last year. Yeah. I don't remember that. Um, but... That none, There's a lot of mini camp players. I don't think we remember. Nonetheless, they they last week on Friday they signed two defensive backs, a corner and a safety. Um, I followed along with PFF's AAF coverage just because I think it's such a niche group, and and now it doesn't exist. But 
in taking a look at some of these players, is it hard when you're looking at such a small scale of games that you're grading them on to 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 give these guys grades? I mean, what were some of the challenges um, in taking on a new league and you know applying some of the principles that you guys have in grading NFL players and translating that down to the AAF level? I'm curious as to how the sausage was made um, in incorporating a, in a league like this, and will this potentially be something that you guys do with the XFL in 2020? Yeah, I don't think it's hard. I mean, we essentially just applied the same principles to the NFL grading um, straight to the AAF, you know, obviously with the with the rule changes in mind. Um, but we had some debate before that league of, you know, do we want to adjust the grading scale? Because by definition, these guys are probably not going to be at the NFL level. Do we want to put out a set of grades that judges them by NFL standards, or do we want to judge them by AAS standards, you know, do we want to um, lower the bar essentially to make these guys look a little bit better than the NFL average? And we decided that, you know, since this thing is marketing itself as a feeder league or as a developmental league or a second chance league for the NFL, it makes sense to keep it on the NFL scale, show these guys that anybody grading at an elite level at this level is, you know, deserves recognition or, or a look by the NFL. So I think it's not harder to do the grading. All you need to understand is that obviously we're dealing with a smaller sample size here. We didn't have, we didn't even have a full AAS season of grades on these guys. So they're, you know, fragile, they're volatile. Just because a guy graded extremely well over that period of time doesn't mean that he wouldn't have regressed the next season or even the next game. And and that's a great unknown that you're going to have from a bunch of these guys. But I think what we saw consistently all the way through the season is that the people that you would have expected to grade well in this league, by and large, graded well in this league. They were people that have had a history of grading well at PFF in the past, whether that was in college, whether that was NFL preseason, or even guys that had sort of been, um, you know, actual quality NFL starters, guys like Will Hill, who, you know, played well in the NFL, but is out of the league because of, you know, social media and uh, weed problems, essentially. So, I think we've seen a bunch of players that justified a second look and, you know, whether they stick on NFL rosters or not, at least they've earned themselves a place um, in training camp and, uh, and to show what they can do. Well, it was really fun while it lasted, I thought, Sam. I, I mean, I, it was fun to sort of get into a new league and try to pick a team and start analyzing the players and things like that. It's just unfortunate that uh, they couldn't exactly get the money right. So, um, Sam, always awesome stuff, great insight. Um, I appreciate that explanation on the Xavier Rhodes thing because it's something that I'm asked a lot. So uh, I can just pull and replay your explanation each time. So thank you for that. Um, and uh, I look forward to catching up with you again soon and have a fun draft season, Sam. Anytime, guys. Take it easy. Sam, you too. Yep. Sam Monson there. Oh, we will. We will have lots of fun. Pro Football Focus, you can follow him at uh, PFF underscore Sam, one of our favorite guests who's been coming on the station for a long time. And uh, I thought that was a tremendous explanation just of like the – the penalties are the biggest thing mm-hmm. with Xavier Rhodes, and he's been one of the most penalized cornerbacks in the league for the entire time he's been in the league. And my concern with the cornerback position, as we talked about with Sam right there, is that if Rhodes even gets a tick slower because of injuries, like the penalties are not going away. And he said that if they took a corner at 18, it wouldn't be crazy considering their situation. People will lose their minds, but I agree with him. I mean, he makes great points, too. I mean, they have struck 
at this position before, but they've also missed. And they've missed it in the second round, too. I mean, it wouldn't surprise me by any stretch if they draft one high. I It really would surprise me if they took one at 18. But Sam present, presents some compelling arguments there um, of that it's a position group that does need to be fixed. I mean, it, the smoke screen here is the depth that you have at that position. Yeah, no, that's right. And, and, and I think the Xavier Rhodes thing, just one thing I want to touch on about that, because I remember Mike Renner wrote an article, I think it was in February, uh, from PFF. About like he's one of you know ten players that he expected to bounce back uh, from what happened last season, and you know he had nine penalties, and so that's what you mentioned. If he does get slower, you know, and he's going to be a target for it anyways. I mean, but Mike Zimmer said that it wasn't the athleticism; it wasn't. It was he got away from his technique. Well, can the injuries now affect that? And now it might be taking a hit on his speed that it will play out the same way it did in 2018. I think that's something you have to be concerned about. And this is where you wonder about the loyalty of Mike Zimmer. And I have always said that I respect it in a great deal. Being loyal to people in a business like this is very difficult. And we know that he values that highly and was blunt about it two years ago at uh, the combine about um, Kevin Stefanski wanting to leave and, and Zimmer valuing that loyalty. But at the same time, if the Vikings had the potential to get Greedy Williams the top cornerback, which is possible. He's usually mocked somewhere in the late first. And trade away Xavier Rhodes to get the cap space. Like, you wonder if that would have been a route they should have gone. Just logically speaking, if you're taking the love for Xavier Rhodes that Mike Zimmer has out of the equation, and you look at the age, and you look at the penalties and some of the issues, like, is that necessarily um, a, a guy you want to keep if you're only looking at cap hit and production and you're not looking at anything else, not projection to if he fixes this technique or whatever else, just only what happened recently and cap hit, that's somebody you usually trade if you can. And age goes into that too. He's not old, but he's, he's also getting there not young. And he's not right? in his prime. I mean, he's going towards the later part of his prime. And I think that's where a guy like Trey Waynes, if you're talking about draft night trades that could potentially happen, Given where he's at in his career, given what's going on for the Vikings and the unknown with Waynes after this season, because he's a free agent and going to be a very pricey one to retain, it makes sense that they could potentially be moving on and reloading in the same same space. Aaron Rodgers responded to the article from Bleach, uh, Bleacher Report that kind of went all in on him and uh, Mike McCarthy, some behind the scenes stuff that came out last week. And we talked a lot about it. So Aaron Rodgers made, I think some salient points. We will uh, talk about that. When we come back, you are listening to purple daily because the Vikings are on your mind all the time, not just during the season, purple daily on score North score North.com. It's, All right, welcome back. A couple more minutes here of Purple Daily. Score North Live with uh, with who? Courtney, who's who's hosting that? I believe you are. Oh, wow, I am? Great. Uh, that's at 2 o'clock, and we're going to talk uh, hockey, preview the um, NHL Stanley Cup playoffs with Declan Goff and Lindsey Brown at 2 o'clock, so stick around for that. Um, Aaron Rodgers responded to a Bleacher Report article that had a lot of 
behind the scenes stuff, some on the record, some off the record about his relationship with Mike McCarthy and just how everything was a bit of a bleep show there over the last few years. And Vikings fans had a lot of fun with it. And Aaron Rodgers went on ESPN in Wisconsin and responded to the article. The same two guys. Every time there's something about me, it's the same two guys. I was 15 feet away in the locker room for you, from you for years. If you had a problem with my leadership, come talk to me. If you have a problem by the way I'm doing something, or if I said something you didn't like, come talk to me. This is, this is years later now. They haven't been in our locker room, and it's the same tired stories. Thankfully, and I really truly, truly appreciate my teammates for backing me up, but they're just telling the truth. They're just telling their experience with me and the truth about who I am. You know, I've been the same person. I'm highly competitive. I'm super prepared. I hold myself and my teammates accountable. And I love winning. That's what I'm all about. So that was Aaron Rodgers there. That was on the Wildey and Taos show on ESPN Wisconsin. Uh, Jason Wildey, friend of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I'll give you my reaction, Courtney. Actually, why don't you give me yours first? You always get to respond to mine and then make fun of me. So I'm going to do that to you. I love that he went on a radio show and defended himself. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times you're going to see big-name quarterbacks and, and big-name athletes to try to brush this stuff, this stuff aside. Because if it's not true or if it's skewed facts coming from the same two people, the notion would be, okay, well, just forget about it. It doesn't matter. Um, you know, the, tr- the people who know the truth will know the truth. No, I love that he came and eviscerated Greg Jennings in this and eviscerated your Michael Finley. Um, and, and there was just more, there was more, obviously the clip that Manny played kind of gave you the, the general sense there that these stories are the same two guys talking. And I do think that there is some truth to the toxic culture in Green Bay between Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy. Like that's been, that's been debated for a long time and that's been talked about, but he does bring up the points of like, why would he sign the extension? Why would he, you know, all the things that he did with Mike McCarthy and, and, and him being a, you know, bad leader in the locker room. I mean, you have other guys coming out disputing that that's always going to happen, but I do think that it's nice to be able to see Aaron clap back because he can get salty with the media. He is, you know, he's got a personality that can rub people the wrong way. But for him to come on and defend himself, I mean, would you ever hear Tom Brady do something like this? Would you ever hear Russell Wilson? I mean, you probably would hear Kirk Cousins do it. Um, but I just, I don't think we've seen this from from that caliber just yet. And I really do enjoy kind of the the realness that, hey, this got to me. This pissed me off. This made me very angry. Um, I'm going to come and, and clear my good name because it's not fair that, you know, one article can come out. I mean, that's fine. To, to the prerogative of Bleacher Report for publishing this, that's their prerogative. Um, and, and they can do what they want. Aaron Rodgers can also do what he wants. And I'm glad he didn't sit silent. So uh, when you go through something like this, it always ends up being like three sides to a story. And then I am always interested in what the reaction is, because you're right that some guys would just sort of shrug their shoulders and say, I'm not talking about it. That has been Tom Brady. for Yeah, sure. he has rings. He's like, I don't need to come and defend myself. My my Super Bowl rings that I need two hands for. Uh don't, that doesn't matter. Right. And if I was Tom Brady, I might take that approach myself. Although I lean much more toward like what, you know how there's those like uh, internet memes of what this are you like Aaron Rodgers for what 
Um, NFL quarterback, are you like? I get I fight with people and don't always get along with coworkers and things and like that. I mean, not here, but just in the past. So I, I understand some of those things. I hold grudges and in a way I, I look at Aaron Rodgers responding and think, yeah, I'd probably do that too. I would probably want to respond if a lot of people said that sort of stuff about me and where he makes a very strong argument is it is always the same two guys. It is always Jermichael Finley and Greg Jennings. And you're like, at some point, their credibility sort of goes down with the fact that they've said this stuff about Aaron Rodgers. Every interview, every pro football talk catches an interview with whatever website or whatever radio station. Greg Jennings came on our station at the Super Bowl and torched Christian Ponder. Like, he does that. That uh, is isn't he in broadcasting. Like, it's just trying to have takes and things like that. And so people love when an ex-athlete comes in and trashes somebody they used to play with. And Greg Jennings has got a lot of runoff of that. But if you're Rogers, it's like, wait a minute, why do you guys have careers again? Like you might not have loved me that whole time, but do you love your Super Bowl rings and all the money and the big houses you have? Like, what is wrong with you? Who the hell are you? Jermichael Finley to call me entitled when I threw you so many damn footballs, you had a career. I mean, I'm on Aaron Rodgers' side entirely with that. Like, you know what? Not everybody who you ever work with, especially in sports, is going to be a great friend to you and, like, the most kind and loving person. But, hey, if you're Randy Brown of the Chicago Bulls, do you go and slam Michael Jordan after your career or say, thanks for the rings, Michael? Like, you know what? I get the impression Michael Jordan wasn't the friendliest dude all the time. But there's a hell of a lot of people walking around this earth with rings because of Michael Jordan. Like, have we ever heard Tony Kukoc come out and say, oh, man, Michael Jordan, that guy was really full of himself. Well, Michael Jordan How about supposedly, John Paxton? He supposedly punched Steve Kerr, he right? Did. And right. Steve he loves Kerr, him. And right. Steve Kerr never says anything. No, I think he actually like takes that as like a point of pride. Right. Like, I, I got punched, punched in the face yes. by the greatest of all time. And, and I think that there should be some of that, and it really blows me away that there isn't with Jermichael Finley and Greg Jennings, and it could be these guys trying to put together post-careers, uh, post-football careers, broadcasting or whatever else it might be. And for them to always be the voices of hating Aaron Rodgers, it's like, all right. And some of the criticisms are just very common for uh, top players. Like, So you have the McCarthy old offense, 100% agree. Yep. The guy clearly thought he made Aaron Rodgers and didn't think he had to change anything. Mm -hmm. That's obvious. He clearly had an ego issue. What's the quote, Manny, your favorite one about I'm a highly decorated football coach or something? What's the one that Mike McCarthy had? He said, like, I'm a highly successful football coach. Well, no, there was the one where somebody asked him about when Rodgers was hurt uh, about signing Colin Kaepernick, and he said something like, you know, I've got three years invested in Joe Callahan and and. Well, and yeah, that, um, that's another one. That's uh, another. Who was one. the other? The Brett Hundley. Brett Hundley. Like, yeah. Like there, there's no question. And and I, I think it's the first time in sports history actually where a coach thought a little too much of himself for uh, having successful players. But anyway, I'm I'm not saying that it's nothing. I'm only saying that find me an all-time great athlete who doesn't have this same stuff like. 
Alex Rodriguez had all of this like manipulating people or couldn't get along with people in locker rooms. Tom Brady has an ESPN article that's 70 freaking thousand words long <laughs> on the issues between him and Belichick and ownership and everything else. Like Ben Roethlisberger, he even takes it to a different level. And then he's the one calling out his wide receivers in the end zone. I, I mean, I, I go back to... Um, in Buffalo where Jim Kelly and Thurman Thomas at one point were called the bickering bills and had to hold a press conference to tell everyone that they weren't fighting with each other anymore. Like top athletes, superstar players always have this stuff. And so there's a lot of it that you go, it's, it could be funny or sort of salacious for the day, but the real reason is their roster got worse that they fell off. That's why their roster around Aaron Rodgers slipped and he was still good, but not great. And their coach wasn't innovative enough to close the gaps. And of course, you're going to have these other ego things that happen. But I mean, there there is a lot of it where you're like, I've heard enough of Jermichael Finley's opinions. Well, some people just, I mean, I agree with him when it's the same guys coming out at some point, where do you lose credibility as a journalist too? If you're going after these people to try to use them as sources, um, do you kind of have to, you, you're towing a line there where you know what their agenda is, you know what their prerogative is. It's also yours to take that into accountability so you can be accountable in what you write. I mean, Rogers was not did not mince words when he talked about Bleacher Report and, you know, the reporter at hand and what he felt he was trying to do here. And I can, you know, I can understand that frustration from a guy like Aaron Rodgers where, you know, if it's anonymous sources or if it's the same same players that are that are going out and trying to what he said was a smear attack. You want to hear other voices like, okay, if you've got something real to say, yep. find a, find a, find another way to say it because this has been done before. How about LeBron James? Like with this stuff, how, how many times has there been that same type of stuff with the superstar athlete who is clearly the face of the franchise? It's not, it's not an uncommon thing yeah. for there to be people who aren't happy with how it's set up. People thought of LeBron in Cleveland as the general manager of the team. He just manipulated, uh, in a bad way, the entire Los Angeles Lakers roster by trying to get them all traded to New Orleans. I mean, like this, it, it's stuff that just happens when you are at the very, very top of sports. And that doesn't excuse behavior at times from Aaron Rodgers, but it also is not something that um, is super uncommon. So anyway, interesting that yeah. he went on and actually defended himself. Score North Live is coming up next. Who's on the show, Courtney? Do you well, know? since we're talking about a bunch of like salty ex-Packers, I, wa- I want to get some perspective from somebody who actually likes Aaron Rodgers. So uh, you're going to have Donald Driver on next. Oh, yeah, Donald Driver. He's on. No, he's not. He's not on next. No. Well, but we're actually going to talk hockey with Lindsey Brown and Declan Goff coming okay. up next. And then Scoggins is back. It's been a long time since we've had uh, Chip in studio. So he is back for uh, the hashtag strip bike segment. So we'll have a lot of fun coming up next. Score North Live. This has been Purple Daily. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. 
Right now, get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton Shred. Accessories like non-slip grip resistance bands, a heart rate monitor, yoga blocks, and more. Take your workout to the next level with Peloton, motivation that moves you. Hurry, this limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access memberships separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.